back to the McCovey Croncast, the only San Francisco Giants podcast to advocate for Wilmer Flores to beat the starting third baseman. <laughs> I'm Brian Murphy, former managing editor of McCovey Chronicles, the SB Nation blog for the Giants. And with me is Doug Brizzoni, who's still on Hawaiian time, I believe. And he writes about the Giants on the Substack, giantsdug.substack.com. Doug, can you tell me anything about this tropical paradise you were just at for the last week? I don't know why I left. Uh, I think that was a very bad move on my part. Um, it's great, and I like it there. And now I'm back in Sacramento. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's like the Wayne's World bit, where now you're in Delaware. Now it's I'm in Sacramento. Delaware. Yeah, right. in Sacramento. So I will uh, say this: that the temperature is actually about the same today as it would be if I was in Hawaii, and it is less humid here. So I've got that going for me. And you're nowhere near clean water, if I remember Sacramento collect correctly. So, all the all the rivers are, are dirty, or the river is dirty. So, oh, the American River might yeah, be fine. I don't that's know. Right. That's the one I live near. The American River. Is that that's one where at least two people die in it every year, right? <laughs> that's Listen, every river. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh speaking of two. That's the number of losses the Giants suffered this week uh, because they won four games, including sweeping the Dodgers. I'm pumped, man. I'm pumped. I can't. This is like the most fan uh, I felt all calendar year so far. The Giants swept the Dodgers. I can't believe it. Can you? <laughs> no, no, I can't. Um, they, you know, though, if you're going to figure out how to play defense for one series. It might as well be the series against the Dodgers. That was the biggest storyline heading into the week. Uh, last week, Kenny was the guest host, and I threw out there what's the part of the Giants game that's most responsible for their basically being a middle-of-the-pack, mediocre-seeming team. And, uh, and it was pitching or hitting. Those are the only two options because I knew that fielding was the easy answer. And uh, Kenny had the pitching side, but he said that basically the pitching's okay, but it's the fielding that's hurting it. And... And sure enough, in that Rocky series, the the defense, you know, they lost Logan Webb a game, essentially. A really bad uh, fourth inning, I believe it was, in, in the third game of that series. Uh, gave the Rockies a series win. And yeah, heading into the, into the Dodgers series, you would think, oh, this is a cakewalk. The Dodgers are going to just hit the ball really hard everywhere. It's going to go literally through Giants players and, and, and for hits. And, and that didn't happen. Um, I'm sure in Hawaii that you went out of your way to leave wherever you were to watch every inning of every game because that's how committed a fan you are. But what stood out to you this week? Um, well, while I was uh, ziplining, I definitely I was like, hold on, guys. I know I need to go, but it's a 2-1 count for Kirk Casale. So you're just going to have to hold on, Okay. And they all understood because, you know, it was a 2-1 count to Kirk Kazak. All the zipline uh, screens were set to the Dodgers game. And you were like, no, no, it's got to You got to, <laughs> yeah. We got to get some Giants-Rockies yeah. going here. That's right. That's, That's right. what the nation wants to see. I, I have a counter to the Giants-Rockies series that it wasn't the bad defense series. It was the Charlie Blackman series. <laughs> he was the main character of all three games, it turned out. Yes, he he had the pinch hit three run home run in that one game one. That was his two hundredth career home run. Although that was set up by bad defense. Sure, uh, I, I'm just saying he pulled. Yeah, yeah no, he 
he had uh, sure the Giants were great scene partners. There's no question. Uh, he overran the the ball, fielding the ball in the in the game the Giants actually won that led to their win. And then and then he started the collapsing rally in the fourth with basically hitting. I don't know if it was a knuckler. I think that's how in the broadcast. Uh, Kruko and Fleming characterized it. He just hit the ball really hard. And I think the spin on it was so great that it just didn't stay in Tyro Estrada's glove. And then Tyro Estrada basically became the main character of that inning. But, <laughs> but you know, Charlie Blackman, the guy we both gave a pass to on our most loathed Rocky thing, he really came on strong there. He did, though. I mean, that second game shows why we gave him a pass because, <laughs> you know, he sure he took two games away, but he also gave one back. That's true. And it's, it's a three game series. It's never going to be even. So <laughs> that's right. And, you know, to his he hustled, you know, it's not like it, it's not his fault or he didn't do anything except that the ball hard. Tyro Estrada uh, couldn't catch it. And then he and then the CJ Crone chopped one through between the shifted defense from Estrada and Walton and, and Blackman just hustled the third. I mean, you can't, can't get on the guy for that. He didn't do any loathsome things there. Uh, we're talking about this because we want to, we want, I just want the rest of this to be about the Dodgers, essentially the week that was, um, but a couple of other things happened while you were away. The, the giants decided, you know what, Joey Bart, why don't you go strike out in Sacramento? And they sent him down and they traded uh, for the Phillies minor leaguer, 31-year-old Austin Wins, W-Y-N-N-S, and who looks very much like Gabe Kapler, which is starting to cause me to believe that the Giants really are just targeting guys who look like Gabe Kapler. Um, but he, in 33 games in AAA this year for the Phillies at Lehigh Valley, in uh, 134 plate appearances, he's... Posted the slash line of 365, 504, and 500. That's a 10.04 OPS, 28 walks, 18 strikeouts. And for his minor league career, 210 walks to 344K. So he profiles as a guy that Far Anxiety would look at. And then this year, especially, he looks like a guy who's like, he can't be contained by uh, AAA. And defensively, he seems like he's at least on the spectrum of being fine. But he was the DH uh, in Saturday's game. <laughs> so it, it kind of is the Giants are just throwing him in being like, you know what? You're seeing the ball well right now. Let's just use up as much of that good seeing the ball juice and as we can until we don't need you anymore. So. Yeah, we, we hear good things. Here is Clayton Kershaw and Julio Ur- Urias. Uh, yeah, and he's out of options. So uh, between Casale and, and Wins. You know, and Bart, if he is going to come back, you know, it's a it's an interesting situation. Wins, you know, will really have to play so well that he's either threatening Kirk Casale's job or Joey Bart's not playing so well that they don't want to bring him back up. So it's an interesting thing. But, you know, for the weekend, he was four for eight with the walk. And uh, like I said, he was the DH. Um, he caught the Giants. Let's just do it. Let's get into the let's get into this Dodgers series. The Giants had not thrown a shutout all year. And the first shutout they they do is against the Dodgers to finish the sweep. I couldn't believe the it. Greatest assembly <laughs> assemblage of hitters ever even imagined in baseball history. They put uh, every all-star team ever constructed to shame. And Austin wins helped Carlos Rodon throw a shutout against them, along with some other relievers. He helped Carlos Rodon get through six innings, which I didn't think six was possible innings. anymore. No, no. <laughs> 
And uh, Jake McGee came in at the end and slammed the door because when he was on the aisle, he went to Sacramento and fixed his mechanics. That's right, which we talked about last week while you were away. But yes, the, the Giants didn't have a reason to lie to us. They were completely right. They fixed Jake McGee. We were we were wrong. We were wrong to be skeptical of them in any way. <laughs> I've been saying it on Twitter for weeks. I've just been parroting it because, you know, if Mike Kruko says it, says they fix someone's mechanics, he's going to be good forever. I've learned one thing from watching the Giants. <laughs> uh, so the, the Dodgers for the entire three-game series. Well, hold on. The Dodgers, the greatest lineup of all time, no, no, no exceptions. They're just the, I don't care whatever Yankees brought, greatest of all time. Every inning, it's like the heart. John Miller was saying this on the radio, basically every inning. is like the, the, the good hitters in the Dodgers lineup are due up next. <laughs> it's like every inning. Also, it seems like Freddie Freeman and Chris Taylor were up at every inning. It was infuriating. Uh, the 5.35 runs per game at, in 57 games coming into the series they leave San Francisco having scored just four runs in the three games. They were shut out for the third time this season. Um, and they were two for 24 with runners in scoring position for the series, uh, including 0 for 10 on Sunday. So the Giants basically were barfing all over themselves, <laughs> pitching in defensively. They were working together for some weird, gross Cronenbergian uh, body horror stuff going on with the pitching, and and somehow the Dodgers come into town. It's like we're gonna go to the barber, we're gonna get our hair cut, we're gonna get like trim and fit, we're gonna clean, like do our laundry. It's like they 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 tidied up. The Giants did, and they're like, the Dodgers are coming to town. It's time to like rip some ass. They well, really you know what did. happened is uh, is Farhan saw the Dodgers like, oh, it's my ex. Oh God, I can't embarrass myself for my ex. Not like I did in October. That's so right. You got everything in order. <laughs> That's that is uh, very that is very astute, Doug. Well said. The main thing we're talking about sort of the whole arc of the series, but I I don't know how much if you actually got to watch the Saturday game, but the they the Giants blew it open on Friday, which was great, uh, big win. Saturday though. Nail biter Sunday, nail biter. The Saturday one more nail biting because the Dodgers loaded the bases with nobody out, and our boy Harleen Garcia. We love Harleen Garcia. <laughs> After puking and pissing all over himself in Philadelphia not too long ago, he gets a, a key strikeout and then a double play, and then in the next inning, the Dodgers load the bases again, and with one out, Camilo Duvall. I mean, he looked amazing. Two perfect sliders um, just to get out of it. But that Saturday game, which was a nationally televised game, you know, the, the Giants played without fear. They looked incredible. And the Dodgers gave them their best shot over the last two games. And the Giants held the line. I mean, it's it, this has nothing to do with last year. This is just like, okay, how good are the Giants this year? We can measure that by how well they play against the Dodgers. And and they really played great, and they matched, you know, basically what their record and all the other numbers indicate is they're a pretty damn good team. <laughs> yeah, I mean they're they're a good team. I think last year kind of threw our perception off because before last year it had been a long time since the Giants were good, and especially even longer since they were good for the whole season. You know, their last winning season had been 2016, which was kind of a disaster for the second half. Um, but like a good team will occasionally look bad for a month. You know, that's that's a pretty normal thing in baseball 
that you know you end up winning even if you end up winning let's say pick a number 93 games that you're going to have one month where you go like 13 and 14. So, I mean, it's not that unusual for a team to look bad. It's just when you're in the middle of it and you're just like, oh, oh, we're doomed. And that's kind of what it was for May. And they come out of it and they show, no, we, we're, we're good. We're a good team. We can do this. It's all right. Don't worry about it. Um, we're still going to worry about it. But <laughs> um, it's just kind of how baseball works. Yes, that's the that's the crazy thing, because I have to bring it up. The Giants are 16 and two when Wilmer Flores starts at third base. <laughs> I don't know how this is happening. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> he made some nice uh, plays on defense uh, to on uh, Sunday's game. Uh, maybe they would have not been as nice looking. It would have been much easier with anyone else out there. But, you know, he's making the plays. And somehow having his bat in the lineup and at that defensive position seems to, uh, you know, energize them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it. Maybe here's what it is, Doug. Maybe having Wilmer Flores at third, the pitchers go out there knowing like, okay, I have to make sure the ball doesn't get at the third base. And it causes them to change their approach enough that it breaks the game plan of the other team about how they figure a pitcher is going to attack them. <laughs> I mean, if I'm being honest, I think it's just like when Barry Zito, when the team won 14 straight, Barry Zito starts like, it's great. I'm happy for them. Number 15, we'll see. You know? Yeah, it means nothing, but it's it's just fun to – it it's really fun. is fun. It's really fun to point out. Uh, Jock Peterson got to hit against left-handers, which uh, Andrew Baggerly made a big point of pointing out, like, D- Dave Roberts never let him do that in L.A., and here he gets to hit a home run and and uh, or hit, uh, hit against lefties and drive an RBI on the Friday night game. Uh, Jock Peterson – since coming back from the IL, remember he was hot. He went on the IL. He kind of scuffled as he came back uh, when he came back. And then he just took off. He's really been quite electric. He has one conversation with Barry Bonds, a, you know, a lengthy conversation to be sure. Uh, a Pete Holmes podcast length in a conversation, it seems. Uh, and that seems to have really uh, turned his whole season. I, I would say step it up a notch. Literally since that conversation, I am now his three homer game. <laughs> he is hitting 340, 417, and slugging 717. He's hit six home runs and uh, five walks and 12 strikeouts. Uh, I'm bringing that up because $6 million, one year deal, the Giants get him. Nobody else wanted him. And it's like, oh, hey, free offense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the Freddie Sanchez deal, except they're like, yeah, we don't want to go two years on the Freddie Sanchez deal. We're going to go one year. And and when you just think about that, about what the Giants are able to do um, with their money, you think about those situations. And I think when they play badly, as you said, like when they have a bad month or a bad couple of weeks or the defense stands out, then you do sit there and wonder, well, why not Carlos Rodon and and Kevin Gossman? You know why? I get it. You're not going to be able to sign every top of the market free agent hitter and you'll have to get lucky and get the Jack Petersons of the world. We can use your money for so many other things. When Carlos Rodon is, Rodon is pitching as well as he is, and Alex Wood seems to be turning it around, then that also seems to mitigate the Gossman part of the equation. Because, you know, with Gossman, I keep coming back to, I keep thinking like, okay, well, maybe the Giants didn't want to go five years, but they did a really interesting, they did sort of the platonic sabermetric uh, ideal uh, of a deal for Rodon, where they gave him high AAV for a short term. 
could have done the same thing with Rodon. It's or with Gossman. Giants have the money, but I'm bringing that up only because when they're struggling, those things stand out more. But if Alex Wood pitches essentially to the level that they had hoped for, and Logan Webb and Carlos Rodon, that's those are the three pitchers. I, I'm leaving out Jacob Junis. Uh, who's now injured, but uh, was pitching amazingly and, and was sort of essentially like found money, which they signed him to a major league deal because he had an option and they were expecting him to use him as a swing man. And now he's, he became like a, a good back of the uh, rotation guy. Um, um, you're, you're also leaving out Anthony DiSclefani. I, who pitched, on, on purpose. He, he, pitched, <laughs> he pitched three innings in a rehab start in Sacramento last week and uh, didn't give up any runs. Uh, didn't he gave up three hits? Struck out three. Didn't walk anybody. So I think uh, I think he went to Sacramento and fixed his mechanics, and so he's good now. Gosh, why would <laughs> the Giants lie about that? <laughs> but uh, just as I, I mean, I wanted to talk about Jake McGee in just a second, but yeah. just to say all that, um, you know, they they beat the Dodgers with the bullpen game. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was. Um, it was yeah. I can't believe it. I, not not that I think. I mean, when those types of things happen, that's when you've got to go to the boomers who are against changes in baseball, and you got to be like, "It works, man." I know it, it's not ideal. No one's sitting there saying it's ideal, but it's not. It's not an impossibility. It's a you know, it's as ideal as when you're starting Todd Wellemeyer as your fifth starter. You know, it's like, well, we hope we can get him through five innings. That's how it used to be with your fifth starter. It's like you hope you get four or five good innings out of him. And then now they're just getting they're just getting rid of that. And like, how about we just put our best pitchers in for as long as we can and just keep handing it off to good pitchers and see if the matchups can help with that. Um, it's just a, it's the same way of thinking about the, the back of a rotation, um, uh, considering, you know, you're not going to be able to necessarily find five starters. But, you know, if they had Junis healthy and they had Di Scafani healthy, they do have a five-man rotation very easily. I'm just – I am I can't believe how pumped the Giants have made me this week after the last week. <laughs> hey, one little sweep of the Dodgers and suddenly we've got Mr. Optimism over here. Oh, man. Oh, I mean, I they're still, what, an 85-86 win team? They're going to get bounced in the first round? No, 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 no. No, but I mean – I feel better about that, knowing like, okay, they still have a little swagger. They still show up for the Dodgers. And, you know, the Dodgers are, by all accounts, not accounts, by all measure, a formidable team. They may not be as good as the Yankees, but they are, that is a, a terrifying lineup, you know? <laughs> You know, when when it's down to Chris Taylor as their eighth or ninth hitter, it's like he'd be one of the best hitters on the Giants right now. And uh, and he he does he hardly measures in. Justin Turner standing on home plate can't. Oh, uh, yeah, just shutting them out was was quite something. I'm saying Justin Turner because now I'm I'm half thinking about that. See, uh, NBC Sports Bay Area had did a ranking of the top five. Uh, of ha- which Dodger do you hate the most? Top five. Uh, did you see the list? I did. Uh, Max Muncy number one. Oh, with I a bullet. <laughs> with a bullet, baby. I have my finger on the pulse of Giants fandom. Uh, I mean, but Justin Turner, just uh, God. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't like him either. Get off home plate. Stop giving people COVID. <laughs> <laughs> These are my gripes. Uh, the Giants shut him down, though. The uh, just an just an outstanding series. 
definitely uh, something, you know, but the crazy part about baseball is, you know, they've got the Royals who are really not performing well this year coming into town and it can turn around like that. Momentum doesn't mean anything. I think that's the other part of why the sweep was so impressive because they have that game on Friday night, but then they're rolling into a bullpen game and it could have flipped very easily and you would have understood it at any point in the series. It could have turned against the giants and you would have understood it, but they, every player that played, brought their their best game they played their best game it's hard not to get excited and feel pumped up about it absolutely Um, (laughs) so it's the third time the dodgers have been shut out this year um darren ruff came back and had a great series his dad died he had to go on the bereavement list he came back and um he hit some home runs he did he did some did some nice things he played pretty pretty decent defense too tyro estrada made a great play on uh, on Sunday, um, I actually thought on Saturday and Sunday when uh, Tyro Estrada turned the double play to get to end the seventh inning, you know, it's kind of a bounce throw. And I think he made a great play on that. Uh, Ruff did because I, I picture Ruff as he doesn't move. Like <laughs> You have to basically throw it to where Dar- Darren Ruff is. He's not going to do much. You don't have Brandon Belt out there. Um, so, yeah, just everyone, everyone kind of contributed in a nice way. Uh, Camilo Duval, man, though, I mean, that guy, the, you could see the confidence, um, you know, trusting his fastball. And, you know, he loves that slider. He's really good with it. But it really seemed like that fastball, he set up his slider nicely. And then he threw two perfect sliders uh, to get out of that inning. Um, <laughs> listen to me, just going on and on. I can't believe it. It's the Dodgers. Um, but some other takeaways from the Giants about their pitching. Uh, that I didn't mention when we were talking about all the errors. But another thing just to bring up about how good the Giants are, they actually are a good team. We, we've been saying that they're the top three of runs scored. Uh, again, they shut out the Dodgers. I don't know if you heard that. <laughs> uh, they, they swept them as well. They're uh, number one in baseball with a 48.3% ground ball rate. They have the third best expected fielding independent pitching and the third best actual fielding independent pitching. Um, the second best hard hit rate, meaning uh, uh, at 26%, meaning um, versus the rest of baseball, you know, no one is hitting the ball. <laughs> what am I trying to say? Teams are not hitting the ball very hard against them. Their 26% is number two in baseball, but it's number one in the National League, which means that their pitching staff is the best at minimizing hard contact. It's not something you would think about with this pitching staff, but you know, whatever they, however they scheme the quality of pitchers, I know they put a big premium on, on looks that pitchers give arm slots, that kind of thing. So just the fact that they throw a different looks and scheming velocities, spin at teams really mucks up offenses. All that to say, one of the worst, def- the worst defense in baseball, the wor- the third worst batting average on balls in play behind two bad teams, the Nationals and Rockies. Um, and then that minus 22.4 defensive runs above average. Uh, it's 10 runs equals a win in saber, in analytics, sabermetrics, right, Doug? So, yes. So essentially... Uh, last, last I heard, which yeah. was like 2008. Yeah. So I don't so, think anything's changed since then. But it wouldn't surprise you to hear to to land on the idea that minus 22.4 defensive runs above average means they've lost about two games based on their defense. Two or three, if you want to round way up. I'd only be Um, surprised because I thought it'd be more. (laughs) So uh, when they sweep the Dodgers, it's it's great. It's and it's shocking because of the weak 
leading up to it, the the games leading up to this. But then you look under the hood a little bit and you go, uh, it's not like it's not like they're a, a hundred lost team surprising a team. This isn't the Orioles having weird luck against uh, what team? Was it the Yankees <laughs> that they that they no? It, there was a team that couldn't beat the Orioles somehow. And it kept them out of the playoffs, but uh, it, it's nothing like that. It's uh, it's just they're a good team that have had had some weird luck, and hopefully that'll get sorted as the season goes. But uh, Doug, now I'm gonna stop talking. Who is your who is your week's MVP? Who won? I'm the gonna cheat, Brian. I'm gonna cheat and say the bullpen. Oh, our our boys in the pen, the arm our barn. Boys in the pen, in the arm barn. <laughs> nope. If you haven't heard Grant's arm barn song, by the way, it's a banger. It hit number six on iTunes last year. Uh, go check that out. That's right, right behind um, penalty box. That's right. <laughs> um, so the against the Dodgers, the bullpen gave up two runs in sixteen innings. Um, the those and the both those runs came in the bullpen game. If you pitch nine innings and you give up two, that's pretty good. Um, they gave up in the last two games against the Rockies, they gave up one run and six and a third, and they gave up three and five innings in the first game against the Rockies. Though again, a couple of those were because of bad defense before the Blackman Homer, they were doing their jobs. Um, and you know, they haven't been doing their jobs for a lot of the year. May was really rough for them. You can say what you will about the defense, but the bullpen was just as ineffective and just as disappointing in the month of May. Um, but over the last week, they were fantastic. Uh, and they were probably the biggest reason that the Giants were able to sweep the Dodgers. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to say that, uh, man, you took not you didn't take my thunder because I was going to say Duvall. But uh, I would say that the week's MVP, hmm, if I had to choose, hmm, I'm going to say it's Austin wins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know they get Austin, and that's what happens. They yeah, start winning. He, he comes in, and they do they do remarkably well. Uh, a special uh, note is uh, I really in, enjoyed Mike Yastrzemski was hot coming into the week, and he did not really have a great week. That home run in the first inning against um, Julio Urias was was great, and uh, I just liked his post game interview. He seems he seems like a pretty pretty chill guy and uh, also one of the guys really plugged into what the giants are doing so in that sense he's if not a team leader he's uh, sort of their ideal uh, you know their I- ideal guy to be to be coaching and and he's basically a, a perfect product of their program um, and it's not one that makes me wary of the program he's like oh he seems like a good guy so that's my honorable mention there uh, one last Point before we go to break, Matt Cain, 10-year anniversary of the perfect game. We already talked about that. You know, I didn't watch the perfect game when it happened. I didn't have to watch it live. I was in an improv class. Oh, so, God. Yes. You said yes to the wrong thing. Yes. Yes, and <laughs> it was after a, I ended a six-year relationship. So I remember very clearly that I was not a good improver that day because I was <laughs> – I was eas- slipping easily into arguments with people. And so when I got out, uh, my phone was just filling up with text messages. So I've only been able to do that by watching the game uh, after the fact. And I think I've watched it three times just the whole way through. I got to tell you, it doesn't capture the experience of watching it live. <laughs> no, I, uh, I, w- I watched it live. I was like, for some reason, I was on my couch and then I sort of sat in front of my couch. And then I kind of noticed in like the fourth inning that it was a perfect game. I was like, well, I have to sit here in front of my couch for whatever reason I was sitting there. 
until he gives up a base runner and he just never did. No, so I, no. it was not super comfortable, but this is how baseball works, <laughs> right? You have to sit in the place that you're sitting or else something will go wrong and it'll be your fault. Yes. Uh, I would, I hope, no, I wish there was a way for Dwayne Kuyper to cheer amazing things that I do in my life the way he does did with Blanco dives and he makes the catch. Yeah. It's that, even though I didn't watch it live, it's emblazoned in my mind. Uh, it's a, also that play watching that play. Cause I remember watching it while I was walking to my car. Cause I, I, we, we were able to have video on Twitter at that point, I believe. So um, just seeing him do that and knowing like, Oh, he's the only one that could have made that yeah, catch because he he's the gloves on the other hand. Um, it was amazing. Uh, the, when Kane was interviewed today, he talked about uh, one of the ones that Melky Cabrera caught that was in the gap. And and it was just funny hearing Melky Cabrera's name in a positive way <laughs> <laughs> again, but Matt Cain also, you know, not just a good giant, but it's sort of, uh, he seems like a really cool dude. <laughs> yeah, he just seems like a good guy. For all the baseball players, uh, you know, can go either way. Um, all right, well, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back with your Twitter questions and then uh, preview something that's coming next week. So we'll be right back. Before we get to your Twitter questions, Doug, last week I put a poll question out. Which part of the roster is more responsible for the Giants' mediocrity? And uh, on McCovey Chronicles, the vote total... Unsurprisingly, 75% said it's the pitching, 25% said it's the hitting. It's a 534 total votes. Thank you so much, everyone, for voting, really. I mean, we all know the actual answer is the defense, but (laughs) (laughs) because it's tied to the pitching, that's what it was. So, okay, that's out of the way. Now we're going to go to your Twitter questions, which you can always at our Twitter handle, MCCronCast, or you can put it in the comments of each video. Croncast post on the Covey Chronicles. First question comes to us from Andrew Bader, and it's who will the Giants starting catcher be by the end of the year and the start of next year? Doug. I mean, it's it's tough, right? <laughs> um, so, I mean, the problem with Casale is he is, as they revealed, uh, I think yesterday, maybe the day before, he's playing hurt right now. Um, he is a, I think it's a bad hamstring, like everyone else, right? Uh, I think so, but Yastrzemski yeah. downplayed it and said, Casale is kind of a baby, just a scratch on his <laughs> hand. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I mean, so it, it would be tough to call him a starter, especially if they just keep playing him through it and saying, yeah, he'll be fine, rub some dirt on it, which is basically what they're do- going to do for half the time. Um, but, you know, you can't predict that Joey Bart's going to be the starter at any point until he starts hitting. Um yeah, I, that's exactly what yeah. I agree with. I think the idea of starter is yeah. is sort of the thing that there's not going to be one. I don't think there's going to be one for the rest of this year. And honestly, most teams aren't going to have one. If you have JT Real Muto or if you have Will Smith, sure. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, most teams don't have just one guy who's going to get 120 starts at catcher. And that's, you know, I think we all are aware at this point that Buster Posey is a Hall of Fame catcher. <laughs> so stepping down from you know going from Buster Posey to not Buster Posey is what this really all comes down to. Um, you know the best 
starting catcher, meaning he's got the qualified number of appearances. I'm just going by the defensive runs above average metric. Sean Murphy, 9.1 for catching Oakland, but he's he's hitting like crud. Um, Travis Darno, seven runs. JT Real Muto, 6.3. Austin Hedges, 5.4. And Kieber Ruiz for the Nationals at 3.3. Those are your top five catchers, and I don't think any of them are hitting – remarkably better the giants are getting pretty decent production out of their catching spot uh, and if you were to trade for sean murphy let's say the giants would have to give up basically any trade the giants do is going to probably involve i don't know kyle harrison like for any player that could help them that would be a two plus win player which is why you would probably make a trade because i would think they would think that they can make two win players or one to two win players with their own process so if you're going to get a Sean Murphy, why would you give up Kyle Harrison? Well, yeah, why I would mean, you do that? There's no reason to do that. Yeah. Um, I will say, by the way, in Joey Bart's defense, uh, so Brian's list uh, was filtered for playing time. Mm-hmm. If you kind of take off the playing time filter, um, which you get a lot more players, you I think you get like nine total or something who have enough to qualify. Uh, Eleven. There are 11 players who have enough playing time to qualify. Uh you take off the filter, Joey Bart is basically the exact same defensively as Kbert Ruiz. Mm-hmm. Kbert Ruiz at 3.3, Joey Bart is at 3.2. Um, so I, I, so that's not really worth a lot to me to, you know, make that trade. Uh, especially because I think Austin Wins is going to hit 11 homers over the rest of the year <laughs> and hit 280. So Well, that's, yeah, that's the other part. How much of an improvement can you make by doing mm-hmm. these marginal moves? And and every every increase in improvement helps you that much more. And if your baseline is basically Joey Bart, you, could, you can only get better from there, really. Uh, and hopefully he comes back. But next year, the start of next year, I mean, I think that's a great question about the whole roster. I, I think because they can buy out Evan Longoria, right? That's the I last don't think year. So. No, I think no. Oh, next year's last year. Ne- okay. I think next year's last year for Longoria. If I remember right. And then I think Listella has one more year, and uh, you know I think it's that backlog. Brandon Crawford's got one more year, and I think just resetting the losing streak last year means they can kind of the next couple of years kind of hang out and see what happens. Oh, uh, you know uh, what? You were right. You were right about Longoria. Okay. This is it's a five million dollar buyout. Or yeah. something else, and yeah. So I mean, maybe I, I'm pretty sure Lestella is the yeah. Lestella's going to be on the roster next year. Wilmer Flores, I think, might his deal might be up after this year. Um, yeah, because I think he was 20, 21, 22, yeah. and Lestella was. Uh, so I, I think I think when the roster can be turned over or changed a lot, that's where it might come in. But it's like mm-hmm. they're not going to get Adley Rushman. They're not, you know what I mean? They're not going to make these big trades. You know, Jacob Stallings kills the Giants, but he's not killing anybody else this year. And again, is he that much bigger of an improvement? Wouldn't it be great if just uh, between Papirski and Wins and hell, hell, Joey Bart, they just kind of got some decent production this year. And the next year, I just, my point about next year is I think it's premature to even imagine the roster next year. Yeah. No, we don't know what the 30 moves Farhan Zaidi is going to make. You know, yeah. He's going to make 30 moves. We don't what they, know what they are. And we definitely don't know what the three of them that really matter are going to be. 
<laughs> exactly. All right. So next question, which is not a question directed at us. I merely absorbed it from Twitter <laughs> because I liked it so much. It comes from uh, the beloved Sean Gothman. Um, and he says, what if the Giants just sucked the past month to fool the Dodgers? I think that's what happened. Yeah, it's a bold strategy, Cotton. <laughs> um, I, they they got them some next level analytical thinking and they're like, look, if we if we win two fewer games over the month, but instead we sweep the Dodgers, then that actually tracks out. Yeah. Yeah. So the math works out and it dispirits your opponent. It's a, it's a smart move. Uh, basically statistical rope-a-dope uh, yeah. analytical. I think that makes a lot of sense. And mm-hmm. it seems, you know, remember in 2020, Gabe Kapler was pissing off Dave Roberts for the, all those <laughs> matchups with like withholding starter announcements and, and basically screwing with them a lot. And it would be funny if there was just a grand, you know, they really kicked our asses in LA. What if, <laughs> We coasted and we got everyone rested up. We just we just swept them. Uh, I I could see it is what I'm getting at. Um, it's one of those things you do in a 162 game season. You can you can mess around, and see what happens. Okay, this one comes from Wayne Japanda and or Japanda, and I'm pretty sure Doug and I talked about this before that neither of us can answer the question, but I'm going to give it a shot. The question is, what's your fave Pokemon? Um. So for me. Obviously, I don't want to pick, pick Pikachu because that's such a basic move. Uh, so I'm going to go Jigglypuff, and I can definitely name a third Pokemon. <laughs> so I'm basically an expert. Isn't there like a Cardazor or <laughs> I don't know. I, my favorite Pokemon is uh, the Starship Enterprise. So <laughs> <laughs> Pokemon Pokemon was after my time. Uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers was kind of the last that was at the end of my time as well. Talking about the like my range is Ninja Turtles. Yeah, so, so Pokemon was was technically my time. I was like sort of the oldest generation where some of my friends were into it, but it wasn't super widespread. Um so I remember like I came back from I came back into 7th or 8th grade and like a third of the class was super into Pokemon and the rest of us were like, what the hell is that? And, uh, and I've just stuck with what the hell is that except for Jigglypuff who I love and who is the best Pokemon. Well, Pikachu, what the, I got no, I got no, I told you Pikachu Pikachu is too basic for me. So you're saying Pikachu is, Oh, too basic. You can't even stand it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we we had Marvel X or Marvel trading cards. Yes. That was also what we. Had. Yeah. Did you have the the Spider Man cards that like if you put the nine nine of them in each set together they would form one big picture? No, I never. I didn't have oh, the those cool ones. Cool. What, yeah. Was that the initial run though? Because I remember the I initial know. run. Okay. Because my <laughs> uh, a friend of a friend had has a book was just given a book of all their Marvel cards and so we were flipping through them and I was like, where is the Wolverine that's been blazoned <laughs> in my brain? And they didn't have it. I'm like, it's that old. <laughs> just, they don't have it. It's too rare. I don't you know. know. So, so the reason, the specific reason I remember the Spider-Man cards is there were, there was like a, there were like nine villains. Like ah. each one got a card. And I remember the card I didn't have, I knew what it was. It was doppelganger. And I've never heard of doppelganger outside of that context. Like I can guess what he is. Right. Right. Sure. The, the name's kind of sure. a hint. 
Yes. But like you have Venom, you have Carnage, you have Green Goblin, you have all those. And then like in the middle or something, you have Doppelganger. And I never saw the card. Never, <laughs> just never got one. I'm very offended by this to this day. Uh, now I want to know who Doppelganger is, but I'll, I'll save that for after the uh, recording. In fairness, yeah. the uh, Marvel, those, those cards looked cool. I mean, I, I was not a comic reader, but they all looked cool. I mean, they good poses. Good, good costumes. All right. Next question comes from, again, Andrew Bader asks, if the Giants could add Juan Soto by taking on Steven Strasburg and, and Patrick Corbin's salaries, would they do it? Or are there other players you'd like them to do this with? I mean, honestly, probably not both of them. Um, they could do it. They, so they could do it. <laughs> um, but Corbin is making $23 million this year, $24 million next year and $35 million in 2024. Strasburg is making $35 million through 2026. Um, uh, it's hard to see the Giants spending $70 million in 2024 to get one Soto. Well, um, they could all... Always... Well, it, it depends on their evaluation of, um, of Strasburg. I'm assuming they think Corbin is done, like everyone thinks Corbin is done. Um, if they think Strasburg will be... A decent pitcher, I guess it's possible. We don't but, even know if Patrick Corbin's going to make it through the one six hearings, right? Exactly. He, he, might, he, he might be subpoenaed by congressional <laughs> investigators. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and Strasburg came has come back finally after fourteen months, and you know we'll see what happens there. But I agree with you. I also don't think they would take on the full value of the contract. That you know maybe five or ten million off both or each of them or you know whatever yeah, it is because that's what they did with longoria where tampa's paying five million a year yeah um, or yeah i can't i couldn't i couldn't see it because even if that were the case like even if that were the godfather offer the giants would make the nationals would still want kyle harrison maybe marco luciano no if you're, doing, if you're doing it for money i no. don't know oh well, i still well the thing is, is like juan soto is still in the deal you know what I mean? Like you're, you're, it's not. A yeah, but, <laughs> but think about the, the Giancarlo Stanton deal that the Giants were going to make with the Marlins a few years ago, where the top guys were like Andrew Suarez and someone else who's not that good, I think. Well, okay. Well, so then if they could do the deal and it didn't involve their, you know, if it involved, let's say Ramos and Bart, which, I don't think that would be the case, but let's just say it did. Yeah, I would do that deal in a, in a minute, uh, immediately. Uh, is that deal something that could likely happen? I I think what you're saying actually makes me about, like they wouldn't take on $70 million of, of salary. Uh, you know, Farnsighty might. I mean, the Dodgers took on David Price's contract. Yeah. Uh, they might, if, I think. If but they ownership thought. wouldn't. I don't think ownership <laughs> would. I think ownership would. I think they would They would okay it. I, I don't know if they do $70 million, actually. I mean, I think they might, he might be able to talk them in like 45 or 50 million. Because you're basically, with Soto yeah. coming on, you're basically talking about $100 million on three players. Because, you know, Soto's going to be arbitration next year and the year after. And he's going to be making a pretty sizable amount of money. So I'm just rounding way up. But, um, you know. Okay, yeah. So the, the Giants offer for Giancarlo Stanton, which the Marlins accepted, just to get rid of his salary. Um was Andrew Suarez, Denard Span, and Jacob Gonzalez. Oh my god. Um so I mean <laughs> yeah. 
but so the, talking, the Nationals are not the Marlins. Mike the Rizzo Nationals is are, yeah. the Nationals are the Marlins, but you're also dumping two salaries. That's so. true too. Yeah, but what does it get? I mean, what does it get them? You know what I mean? The hit of trading Soto and trading Strasburg. Let's be clear. Yeah, I don't. I don't yeah. think they would do it. Yeah, um, I, I don't. I think Steven Strasburg is still a draw for them until it's demonstrated that he's toast. Yeah, and I don't think that's a given that he's he's toast. Now, both of them being good even this year is not going to help that team. But you know, those are two those are two names faces of the franchise, and if they come back at all for next year, that they'd have value. So I just don't see it. Okay, last question comes to us from William James Rivoli, and it's his handle is Ace Atheist eighty six. And he asked, how many of the Giants players are atheists? I liked, I initially interpreted this question as though they're asking me as a, like a beat writer. Like I talked to them and I know this <laughs> and like how many religious conversations have I had with the uh, players? Um, but I hopefully uh, Bill James <laughs> understands <laughs> that, that we're not beat writers. We don't, we're not embedded with the players who have gone to the clubhouse. So if this, if that's the case, then if we were to guess who they would be, uh, that's a great question, which I'm going to defer to Doug to answer first. <laughs> um, well, I'm just going to take the low hanging fruit first. Uh, Ricky Gervais. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think I'm legally required to, to mention yeah. him anytime anyone says the word atheist. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, are, are you offended? Are you offended? <laughs> I'm just having to go, mate. Yeah. Oh, you believe in an invisible man? Do you? Oh, that's so sad. Oh, oh! You love your sky fairy, do you? <laughs> yeah, that was a great accent. I know you don't have to tell me. Um, man, it's hard to t- honestly. Probably none of them. That's my instinct. Uh, yeah, I. I think Tommy Lestella. Tommy Lestella. <laughs> Tommy just has he just been through too much with the injuries? He's like, there can't be a god who would put me through this. <laughs> Or because he's an atheist, he's had so many injuries. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I think Brandon Belt is like obligatorily, like he like he doesn't want to upset his mom, <laughs> so he's not an atheist. But he probably would be. like he's an atheist by laziness, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, that's a good good question. I could see Gabe Kapler. Yeah, I could see Kapler. I mean, that's. Uh, he's, I mean, he's one of those like I. I uh, I'm spiritual. I'm a spiritual person. <laughs> but he doesn't believe in any one. one I, I believe thing. in the oneness of the universe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It would be funny if there were, I mean, I, I want to think of one out of left field kind of guy. Oh, Jock Peterson. No, I, <laughs> no. Uh, just one. I think Jock Peterson probably. Is, I can see Jock Peterson. Atheist. I could see Austin Slater. Like, I just, I wouldn't. Well, Austin Slater from Stanford? Yes. Austin Slater. There's our guy. Yeah. There we go. Austin there we go. Slater. So at, at most, we're talking like two or three players and the manager. Yeah. <laughs> Andrew Bailey is like, I firmly believe in God. <laughs> He's like, this game. Andrew Bailey seems like um, he has thought a lot about pitching in his life. And, and I think he's landed on. This game is really hard. Yeah. <laughs> and I think he's like, I think the only way you can get through it is if you believe in something as a higher power. Uh, these were pretty good questions all the way around. Even the Pokemon question got us talking. But um, next week, a uh, special episode, we're going to bring in Roger Munter, uh, formerly McCovey Chronicles Minor Lines, and who now has his own 
um, Substackian Empire. It's not Substackian, it's a Substack Empire. But he's covering the Giants minor league system. And uh, it's a great one. We we do basically broad strokes coverage of the of the system at large. And uh, I promise I don't do nearly as much talking as I did this week. But <laughs> that's so look for that next uh, for our next episode. And then we'll be back with a regular episode the week after. Um, Doug, did you peek ahead at the schedule this week? Is there anything that uh, comes up that you that you're going to keep an eye on? Um, I mean, so coming up this week, the Giants are playing three against the Royals, three against the Pirates. I don't say this often because I understand that baseball is a hard game. You can't, you know, look at the schedule like that and sort of break it down. Like, well, they have to win this game. They have to win this game. They're better than this team. But honestly, if they don't go at least four and two in the, over those six games, that's going to be a real wake up call because they so. should beat both of those teams. Those are both very bad teams, even keeping in mind that Brian Reynolds will single-handedly win one of those three Pirates games. Yes, but not Cole Tucker because he's no not longer Tucker. on the Pirates. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I think four and two is that's the minimum that they, they should meet. The Royals aren't playing well right now. Uh, uh, they haven't had a good season. They, they might be playing better as of late. But one thing I really want to um, keep an eye on is I want to see what happens with uh, Yastrzemski and I want to see what happens with the shortstop situation because Brandon Crawford's been getting a lot more time off and I think his defense I think has measurably taken a step back this year um, where he might just be an average defender and if he's not hitting it's a problem so it's kind of up the middle is what I'm kind of keep my eye on this week uh, even though I just said Mike Yastrzemski but I, I want to see what's going to happen there um, I guess I'm not worried but I'm wondering what's going to happen because there's a part of me that thinks the Giants have thought about everything that goes on in the field is not on, on accident, but it also feels like are they have they do they have a contingency for shortstop? <laughs> and right now it's not it's not it's unclear. Yeah, so, right now it's Tyro Estrada. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening. Again, drop us your questions. Uh, you can read Doug's writing at giantsdoug.substack.com, and uh, we'll be back uh, next week with a new episode. Until then, go Giants. Go Giants. Thanks for listening.